Welcome to Marvel Us Disney. Welcome to Marvel Us Disney. My name is Jim Hill, and on today's show, we'll be covering the new Infinity Wars trailer, several high-profile Marvel television studio productions, and other news. Now, let me bring in my co-host here, the amazing Aaron Adams. <laughs> Thank you very much for the kind intro. This should be our celebratory. We should have horns and, and a parade for our uh, celebratory third episode. It's an epic event. What makes it epic is the release of the Infinity Wars trailer. Yeah. We clearly weren't the only people on the planet who were looking forward to seeing this because this trailer was the most watched trailer in a single day of release in the history of Hollywood. It racked up more than 200 million views in less than 24 hours. When you factor in all the different ways you could possibly view this thing, we're talking 230 million views online. And what I enjoyed was that people immediately began to pick it apart like the Zapruda film. Yes. In fact, the footage they showed us back in July at D20 and what was fascinating was to see a number of the shots from that material that were included, but also a number of things that were held back. And mm-hmm. I reached out to friends at the studio and said, okay, what's the deal? And they said, Jim, it's the teaser trailer. Right. We just opened the buffet. This movie doesn't really open in theaters till May 4th of 2018. And in fact, one of the reasons that they're going to try to get everybody to go out and see Black Panther is that the really for real juicy, wonderful trailer is going to be attached to that one. Oh, sure. All right, just to jump into it, having watched it, what leaped out at you? Everything was glorious. Now, here's the thing. I don't think that the 200 million views is at all surprising because this universe has been so unique in the way that they have built it. You've got specifically fans of Iron Man, specifically fans of Thor, fans of Captain America, You've got so many different members of the team that have had all of their own individual paths that fans across the world can have a favorite. So when the Infinity War trailer drops, all fans, because they've got every dang hero they've ever created on film so far, practically in this trailer. The one thing for me, because I'm a Spider-Man nut, was the shiny Spider-Man suit. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's the Iron Spider suit. It's not really the comic book version of it at all. I was surprised to see a shiny Spider-Man when I first saw it. I didn't hate it, but I wasn't immediately on board with it because my entire life Spidey's been in a fabric suit. And so this was a new thing for me. So I'm not against it, but I really want to see more of it because I may end up loving it dearly. Right now it was just like, oh my God, what is that? Is that the Iron Spider? Is he going to have the four extra arms come out of the back? That would be so cool. I have to wonder myself, because the last five minutes of Spider-Man Homecoming this past summer, you you had uh, Tony Stark offering him the new suit and as part of supposedly folding him into the Avengers. Did this look like the same suit or a different... Yes. The suit at the end of Homecoming, I think, was just lit differently. Ah. But you could still see a metallic reflection to it. Certain seams of it had more reflective elements. But this shot in the Infinity War trailer was broad daylight, fully lit. So everything sparkled. It was very, very shiny. But it still moved like fabric. And that's one of those things where 
in the Marvel Universe, you get fantastic things, but I still don't quite understand how you end up with metal fabric yet. God. I don't know if they'll explain it or they'll just be like, hey, Tony built you this new suit here, enjoy, and that's all you get for explanation. You're like, okay, whatever. It's metal fabric. Now, beyond that, what else leaped out at you? I did not get to see the trailer that you had seen, but I had read about a moment with Thanos and something lunar. Yeah. And I'll just leave it at that. And that wasn't in the trailer. And I was so disappointed that it wasn't because I desperately want to see it. And I haven't now. And since that wasn't in the trailer, I was I was very bummed, left wanting more. Like you said, it's a teaser. They're not going to fire all their bullets in one shot. Again, talking with folks at the studio, the footage they showed at the 20th Year Expo actually started off with the Guardians characters encountering Thor's body floating in deep space outside of a vehicle. And the way the trailer ends currently, they use Thor, yeah, who the hell are you guys? And you pivot to the shot of the Guardians of the Galaxy. At the D23 Expo, they started with that footage. The crew on the Milano, and they were talking about we're entering some really tough territory, and the guys were about to meet up with really bad guys. Everybody put their mean faces on, and they drop out of warp, and they're in a debris field, and a body hits the windshield of the Milano, and Rocket freaks out, you know, dead guy, dead guy, get it off the windshield. (laughs) And they bring the body on board, and it's Thor. Now, I want to say I was very happy to see that Mantis is still part of the Guardians of the Galaxy Mm -hmm. crew because she was flipping adorable in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I don't know if you saw the stuff that's leaked out. Again, James Gunn has been chatty, but, you know, they are pretty upfront about as we get into the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's like, well, look, I want to go back and revisit some of the previous iterations of the Guardians. and Change the lineup a little bit. That's it, exactly. And in fact, if you remember the scenes with Stallone and his crew in that, that right. scene, yeah. you know, just sort of the suggestion is, you know, we're going to go in a couple of different directions here or expand this part of the turf. Yeah. So the decision was made from the folks who were putting together the trailer. If Thanos pulling the moon out of the sky, which remember was the last image out of that trailer, where the audience at the D23 Expo, all 6,000 of us in that hall, kind of lost our minds. Oh, but yeah. they've decided, well, look, that got that reaction. I want that reaction at every cinema on the planet. So it's like, okay, that goes into the really for real trailer. Right. And then, given the strong reaction to Thor's interaction with Guardians, the decision was made, okay, then let's just take the front of the footage that we showed for D23 and let's just make that the end of what we're doing with the teaser and we then have this other footage that we know works and we can use that as the stepping off for our Really For Real trailer, which we get with Black Panther. With films like this, the promotional side of the thing... It's an art form. Well, the planning reaches kind of D-Day sorts of levels. Yeah. For example, how Disney decided to launch this this week. They sent out a trailer a day beforehand Literally, it was people watching previous Marvel trailers and kind of losing their minds. And it's like, if you thought it was good, wait till tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. And then they view the trailer on Good Morning America. And here's Sebastian Shaw. And he's talking about, we're still shooting this thing. And they've been shooting since January of this year. And he's like, I have no idea where this fits in. 
I show up, they give me a script, I read the lines, I will go to the theater and find out how this fits in. Yeah. They often is not, I feel kind of bad for these actors because people will hit them up for info and it's like, what's in the film? What's going on? And it's just, I have no clue. Well, I mean, there's so much secrecy they've been planning for so many years that even if they mm -hmm. did know, it's just going to be, uh, I can't talk about it or I don't know or changes can be made. There could be oh, reshoots. Absolutely. But essentially, you're not going to get a peep out of me until this thing is in theaters. And then we'll really be able to talk about the movie. Until then, it's just hints and teases. No, it has to be. We're two weeks out from the release of Star Wars The Last Jedi. And it seems like every single arm of the Walt Disney Company is now flogging The Last Jedi. It's actually reached kind of a point with me where it's like, can we just have the movie? It's almost like they're beating a dead horse. Yeah. But the, I mean, the horse is still anticipating being led to its water and choosing mm -hmm. to drink. Just give us the damn water already. You don't have to beat us. We want to go. You could have had one shot where Luke goes, hey, Ray. And that would have been it. That could have been the whole trailer. And I would have went, yep. Here's my $10. I'm going to go see that in 3D. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. You have to remember, you are not just catering to the fans. You are also trying to get that larger audience to turn out. And let's face it, when you look at how Thor Ragnarok is still holding up right now, we're four yeah. weeks into its domestic release at this point and was just looking at the numbers before we recorded today. And as of right now, the film has pulled in $281 million in North America. Box office overseas is 517. So really, this puts it at 799.5 million. So we're talking 800 million. To put this in context, Thor The Dark World, at same point in its release, it was at 188 million. Mm -hmm. Literally $100 million difference. So clearly, this one went further and is still doing quite well at the box office. Some of that is related to Ragnarok is a much better reviewed movie. If you know, we go with the Rotten Tomatoes thing, 92 freshness versus Dark World got a 66 freshness. Audience score for Ragnarok was 88% versus 77% for Dark World. But the interesting for me is that it's also outpacing Doctor Strange, which was the last time that yeah. Marvel released a movie in this November window. These days, Hollywood considers the first week of November kind of the start of the holiday movie viewing season. Very lucrative right. time of year when whole families go out to see films. And Ragnarok, minimal differences between the Rotten Tomato scores and Ragnarok and Doctor Strange. Here's the thing. Doctor Strange mm -hmm. as a character is not very likable right off the bat. He's an arrogant surgeon and you don't immediately latch on to him as a character. Also, he's a quasi Tony Stark-ish in the way that he was very, very rich. He's very, very intelligent. And then obviously the difference is he's in mystical arts and he's not building Iron Man suits, but he's a rich, arrogant, self-assured, down to dark hair and goatee, even looks like a little bit of a Tony Stark. Throughout half of the movie, Doctor Strange is not very likable as a character. With Thor, you've already had a couple of movies that have set up the character. You've had him in the Avengers movies. He's well established. And it was made very apparent through the advertising that this was going to be a very fun adventure in the Marvel Universe. 
there was like no dour, dark, brooding anything. All of the advertising was very light and fun, which is very uh, family friendly, attractive, as opposed to a surgeon who's just pissed off that he lost the use of his hands for half of a movie. To contrast, box office returns of the two movies is like, yeah, well, Doctor Strange is kind of an acquired taste. You have to kind of go into that movie as a fan. And I think that's why that's a little bit where Thor get those higher box office numbers. What you're saying is valid. And more to the point, remember, this is the first film introducing, at least to the cinematic universe, this Marvel character. So Right, right. People will have to be introduced to the character and and warm to him. In fact, doubling back now to the trailer, and again, spoilers, it was kind of intriguing to me to see the number of pieces of footage where, just as you mentioned, you had... Tony Stark and Doctor Strange interacting, and there's Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second, because that's important. Thor's been out long enough now that we can travel into the the deeper spoiler territory that we wouldn't cover in our almost Mm -hmm. Thor review show. Banner was afraid in Thor Ragnarok that he could be permanently stuck as the Hulk. So his character arc throughout Thor Ragnarok is, please don't make me turn into the big green monster. And then, of course, at the end of the show, he's got to turn into the big green monster to help save the day. And as we end the movie, we see that it's still Hulk version, not Banner, that's standing on the starship alongside Thor and the rest of the gang. So we're left at the end of Thor with Hulk And now we see clearly in the Infinity War trailer that Banner is present. And that answers a big question. How long is he going to be stuck for? Well, the answer is until some point, maybe about halfway through Infinity Wars, we'll, we'll get our Banner back. We're parsing images that are taken out of context. We don't know when this scene is where in the motion picture. I mean, we do know, inferring from Spidey looking at his arm and seeing his hairs up, having Spidey sense, and then looking at the window and seeing a gateway looming over New York City. And when we see Tony arriving at the Spirit Sanctorum, that he's arriving there and we're seeing that the staircase has been taken out and who's in the wreckage in the base of the staircase, but Mark Ruffalo as the unhulked Bruce Banner. I can't help but look at this and think of that similar moment out of the original Avengers film where Bruce fell out of the sky and took out the warehouse. Again, not to be a about the whole DC Universe thing, but the very first words out of Bruce Banner character's mouth is, did I hurt anyone? And just now you get scared a bunch of pigeons. Yeah, yeah. But that's the thing. You just get that vibe right from the get-go. In fact, there's that wonderful image out of the trailer where it's Bruce Banner, it's Tony Stark, it's Doctor Strange, and we have Wong, the keeper of the library, again, played by Benedict Wong. And they are clearly in the street of New York looking up at something that is causing great destruction. They do a wonderful job with this teaser of sort of showing you different groupings of characters And in fact, to jump ahead to the footage featuring the Black Panther, get that man a shield. Oh, yeah. That line gave me chills like nothing else in that trailer. I mean, the way he delivered it and then the shot of Cap walking out with the beard. I got goosebumps all over like I was a 16-year-old girl going to prom. That's Christopher Marcus and that's Kevin McFeely. The screenwriters, they did the three Captain America movies, the first Avenger, Winter Soldier, and, and Civil War. And 
They're the ones who are, are handling Infinity Wars. And not to jump ahead here, but they're also the ones who did Agent Carter. I miss that show so much, particularly in the wake of the Inhumans, where... Don't get me wrong, right. there were people yeah. in the Inhumans, like Ken Lung, who played Karnak, or Carrie Ian Cusack, who played Evan Declan, who I've loved since Lost, mm-hmm. and even Lost kind of went off the rails toward right. the end there, but the Inhumans never seemed to be on the rails. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I've tried really hard. I've watched as much Inhumans as I can, and it's just never caught me. From the get-go, everything just seemed off about it. I just have to give up on it. I don't think it's a question of giving up at this point. I just don't know if it has anywhere to go. Yeah. The ratings have come back. I mean, the last episode aired on November 10th. And basically, ABC's trying to set up this new genre night on Fridays. They start off at 8 o'clock with the revamped Once Upon a Time. And then that went straight into the Inhumans. And now the plan is that it goes straight into Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And the interesting thing is that it held 100% of the audience that was watching Once Upon a Time, which is a good thing. But the problem is the show that came directly after that, 2020, has been this incredibly reliable news magazine. And you have to understand that, well, I don't need to tell you this. You've worked in the industry for for decades. But (laughs) but news shows are infinitely cheaper to produce than fantasy television, particularly hour-long fantasy television that's either shot on location in, in Hawaii or wherever. And what's happened is that this fantasy, this new genre night has tanked the audience for 2020. It's had its lowest ratings ever this season. What's particularly concerning to ABC is that it's allowed Dateline over on NBC to really crank up its ratings. And look, I I don't need to tell anybody who's been paying attention to the news these days, what with the Matt Lauer situation and all that. But if you talk with anybody at the corporate level, at either ABC or NBC or CBS, about what just happened with Matt Lauer, it's like so much of the operating budget for NBC, the network, comes from how well the Today Show did in the ratings. And a lot of that was tied to Matt. When a a program like a 2020 or a Today Show, its ratings slide, the revenues slide. And... This is really concerning for ABC at this point. 2020, which was this rock for decades, is now being impacted by these two shows that are in front of it. And what should we do about that? We've just finished the November sweeps, and everybody's looking at what happened there. We'll see another sweeps come February. It'll be interesting to see if this genre block actually stays where it is and whether or not what they just did introduce the new season of Marvel's Agents of Shields works. Right. Have you seen the premiere? I did. I caught both episodes last night. I feel like with Agents of Shield, I stick with the show because I so enjoy people like Migna or Clark Gregg. Right. The character writing for Agent Coulson last night was wonderful. They really do give Clark Gregg mm-hmm. some fun stuff to work with, but it just it just seems like every season now they kind of paint themselves into a Marvel corner that should be entertaining, 
If you remember the tail end of, of last season, the Agents mm-hmm. of S.H.I.E.L.D. had just gotten out of the framework. They were back in the real world. They went to a diner. They were having pie. And then they were captured by this mysterious outfit. And the next thing you know, here's Phil Coulson looking out in the deep void of space. And it's like, well, where are they? Well, where they are is 90 some odd years. Well, they, they have yet to actually give an exact time frame. But... They've somehow jumped ahead in time, and the debris field they're looking out upon is Earth. They're on this installation where they're Mm. basically the Kree are sort of the upper level management. And the the character that talked about, we were a breath away from extinction. And here we are. This is what's left of humanity. And then, in fact, the way the second episode ended was they're looking out at what's left of Earth. And they show a fairly sizable chunk of the curve of Earth. And this character basically turns Uh to Daisy. And it's like, who could have possibly torn the Earth apart? Who has quake-like powers? (laughs) And and it's just kind of an interesting MacGuffin for the coming season. Sure. And they've scattered enough of the players that you're like, okay, let's see how he gets back on the canvas. In fact, at one point, I think it's Coulson turns over this really dirty, scuffed postcard of Earth and turns it over on the back. It's written working on it, Fitz. So it's, you know, clearly somewhere out there, you know, Fitz is, is, because he's the one player who didn't get grabbed. There's a wonderful little moment in the opening of the show where it's, they've somehow frozen or drugged the group of the crew. They've got the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and they're rolling them out to the vague truck that they're going to haul them off in. And one of the players is like, well, we left one at the counter. And it's like, yeah, he wasn't on the list. So it's like, okay, so that's Fitz, but why wasn't Fitz on the list? Yeah. Look, it's an interesting story idea so far. Right. But I think the thing that makes me crazy about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is that if you look at alias Jessica Jones or Daredevil or or that bunch, they've done such a nice job with eight episodes, ten episodes that all are written in advance and linked Mm -hmm. together. Supposedly, that was one of the reasons that ABC opted to do in Humans the first part of the season. The, the belief in house at Marvel Television was the way they've been doing the Marvel's Agent the Shield up until this point was doing a disservice to the show. That they do like eight episodes, right? And then there would be a season break, the winter finale, and then they'd come back yep, in the spring yep. and do another eight episodes. But there was no momentum. You literally broke the show right. in half. Getting back to Agent Carter, that was after what happened with the first season of the show. Well, let's let's try doing Agent Carter in the middle and see if that holds the audience. And that didn't work the way people had expected. Though I guess I should mention that for all you Agent Carter fans out there, she's coming back. What? Paley Atwell as Agent Peggy Carter. What? But it's for animation. Uh, December 3rd, uh, over on Disney XD on the Marvel Avengers Secret War animated series, an episode called New Year's Resolution airs. This is bringing Atwell back. At least for me, I mean, I'll take it. I'll take what I can get of this character. Yeah, right. What's kind of interesting is there have been reports from the set of Infinity Wars that there might actually be a scene that was shot with her and Chris Evans, some sort of a flashback thing. But anyway, she she's back, at least in animation. Yeah. And right. Okay. Like you said, I'll take what we can get. Yeah. 
So, Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., real quick, thumbs up or thumbs down? I have to admit, I'm kind, you know, it's just like... Uh, thumbs up or thumbs down? Oh, thumbs up. They got me again. Okay. A reluctant thumbs up from Jim. I so enjoy the performers. I really do. Sure. And I get it's hard to do this in a television format. But each season, it's one of these things where it's like, I feel like it's kind of like the abusive girlfriend. I mean, you love her, but she's she's mean to you and doesn't give you what you want, but you hang in there. Now, I'm thinking what this television version of Marvel is missing is the crossover experience. Because the CW with The Flash and Supergirl and Arrow, every season they seem to have like a little crossover, a mini crossover, and it's like... I would really be okay if Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. crossed over with Inhumans because it might get me to watch Inhumans for a couple of episodes so I can see the S.H.I.E.L.D. action of that. But now you've also got Runaways on Hulu and I've accidentally fell in love with that show over the last week. You could have all of these different shows that they're producing interacting with one another, and they're not. You talk about the crossover between Flash and Supergirl and all that. Just this past week, the tail end of Sweeps, they did that amazing four-episode wedding link-up. That so many people were like, I saw this four-hour thing that was wonderful and this story that had great interaction between characters. And it's like, and then I go see Justice League, you know, and it just, yeah. and, and it, it, don't get me wrong. Now, let's back up. Justice League, mm-hmm. whether it had faults or not, it was a step in the right direction. It wasn't a perfect movie, but it was better than Dawn of Justice. I really was entertained by The Flash. I was really entertained by Aquaman. Mm -hmm. I love Wonder Woman, which I thought was going to be one of those nearly impossible characters to pull off. And magically, she is like the shining light of the DC universe right now. And and deservedly so. Isn't that bizarre? Well, you know what, though? In her solo movie, you had a very strong female director. Wonder Woman is about empowering women. Actually... Do you know about the film that came out recently? I know the one you're talking about. Yes, yeah. About the origin of where Wonder Woman really came from. So, I mean, you've got all of that psychological stuff on the side, that there is some sexual side to it a little bit. But over time, she has developed into a beacon of strong, empowered woman. I think in this overly masculine, saturated superhero universes that we've been enjoying for all these years, we are still severely lacking in those powerful, strong female icons for little girls to go buy toys and comic books of and have someone to look up to. And and I think they've done just such a perfect job with Wonder Woman of being that symbol, that single shining female of empowerment that I, I just think she's perfect. This is what makes me crazy, though. It's like the one that should be the toughest to pull off. I mean, if you look back at Wonder Woman and the Invisible Plane and the Rope of Truth, and there's a lot of stuff that there that could have gone yeah. wrong. And that film was wonderful. And, and the right director and the right actor yeah. and the right take on the material. And then you look at stuff like Batman. And, and it's one of these things where it's like, that one should be easy. I do kind of like the fact that everybody on the team 
on Batman. And the thing is, I like Ben Affleck. I like him as an actor. He's done some good work. He's a great director. I think he's talented. And I even think he looks good in the Batman costume. I got no problem with Batman the actor, but I just think that the writing and the way that they're portraying him is just not really the Batman that we know. There has been a great Batman that has existed since the early 90s, and that's the one that Paul Dini and the team created for Batman the Animated Series. In fact, my daughter just recently made me aware on Instagram, there's this amazing collection of images from comic books and from the animated series and that sort of thing that talks about the Batman from that world. And we're not talking about the Dark Knight. Let's be honest, that was the jumping off point for Dawn of Justice. Batman has always been the one who's about trying to help and rehabilitate and the smart detective and and all of these people, the Riddler and those folks, these are damaged individuals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many times in a Batman storyline did you then see Bruce Wayne through his fortune, reach out to the family of a criminal or try to offer somebody a job or, or that sort of thing. This is actually right. a more interesting character than we've ended up with in the movies. And like you said, Ben Affleck, yeah. hell, I even like Jersey Girl, which clearly tells you I'm damaged. All right. You know, <laughs> I enjoy him as a performer. I really do. And yeah, there were some fun moments in both Dawn of Justice and Justice League, largely because Ben Affleck is such an appealing performer. But at the same time, it's like, was he Batman? Sort of. A version of a Batman, I guess. Yeah. The complaint from a lot of people is that DC has gotten so dark that Warner's had to go in and deliberately work to lighten up what Zack Snyder had had done with Justice League to try to make it that much more palatable. But now we pivot to the Marvel Universe and there's been this series of wonderful movies and TV shows and that sort of thing where little kids are really on board with Marvel. They are so embracing the characters that Universal is taking advantage of this and starting this week at the Islands of Adventure theme park in Florida, they're beginning a character meal. I mean, like with Mickey and Minnie at the Disney parks, only you can go to Cafe Four. This is the Fantastic Four themed quick service restaurant at that park and you can sit down with Captain America and Spider-Man and Wolverine. Let's see what else. We got Cyclops, we got Storm, and we got Rogue. And they're going to be there in the restaurant going from table to table as you sit there and eat your your lemon chicken or your penny pasta. And and you can get your picture taken with these characters. I mean, that's, I mean, it just, it's so bizarre to me that we've reached this point. As far as little kids are concerned, I mean, just think about it. Yeah. Ten years ago, if you went to a little kid and talked about superheroes, they would say Batman. They would say Superman. Maybe they'd say Spider-Man. Oh, Spider-Man has been Marvel's number one character forever and ever in the comic book. I mean, like, as far as sales go, Spider-Man has held Marvel aloft for a very long time, and since it was their number one property, that's the only reason Sony bought them is because that was uh, the one that had the potential to make the most money. Do you know who number two was? The Hulk. I mean, I got that straight from the guys at ILM who have done the effects work on a lot of the Hulk movies over the year. I mean, even starting back with the Aunt Lee movie. And they were just talking about it. It's like literally Marvel handed us the research. Spider-Man number one, Hulk number two. That was honestly the frustration with those first two Hulk movies where it's like, what are we doing wrong? Right. The data tells us that this character should break through. And in both cases, 
those movies underperformed. And I think we touched on it in the last show. It was only when Mark Ruffalo came on board and they made the decision that it would be Mark Ruffalo's face no matter what that would help sell this character. And with Ragnarok, we are supposedly starting a three-picture arc of a story that Ruffalo discussed with Kevin Feige that he said, well, look, if I were going to do a Hulk standalone film. This is the story I'd like to tell. And Feige was like, well, tell you what, what if we told that story over the next three Marvel Cinematic Universe movies? And he's like, I'm in. The only thing I can see right now that they really haven't touched on yet is Smart Hulk, where he's got Banner's intelligence while in Hulk's body. And he's would have a, a ability to transform at will. I wonder... Did we see the start of that? I mean, think about the Hulk that we saw in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, because he spent so much time as the Hulk, he he was able to, you know, learn how to talk. He still spoke more, I don't want to say like an infant or toddler, but as a young, unintelligent or uneducated person. It was more basic language. So what I'm thinking is that the more time he spends as Hulk, the smarter he gets until he eventually is Banner's brain and Hulk body. Before I forget here, and in fact, doubling back on Universal Lando, particularly Islands of Adventure, I did something, in fact, it was the very last thing Nancy and I did before we got in the car and drove home. And this, I'm really going to need your help on this, Aaron. Okay. What we did is we walked through all of Marvel's superhero island. I mean, literally started at the very edge of it with the Hulk coaster and then went all the way up the street and then in and out of every shop and then came back down the street. We took pictures of every single Marvel character, whether we were on a signboard, a menu board. What I'm looking to try to do here is that there's the famous story about Disney can't use any characters that are on what they call the, the master licensing agreement that Universal signed with Marvel. Mm-hmm. But nobody's ever been able to figure out which characters this exactly entails. It just occurred to me, well, it's like, if they're on menu boards, if they're on the side of buildings, if they're used in attractions, they're on that agreement. Yeah. But nobody's ever put together a definitive list. So what I'm hoping is put together a definitive list by going through all of these images and identifying each and every one of the characters. And, for example, we were just talking about Cafe 4. There's a mural in there that has to have 60 or 70 characters crammed into it. I'm sitting there with Nancy. It's like, I know from the chin that's probably a Cree. Is it a specific Cree? You know, what am I looking at here? So it's like my ignorance of the Marvel Universe really came to the surface here. Email me the pictures and I'll label all of them with little arrows pointing to who who they are and what their names are. My resource material on that should simply be Earth X from the Marvel vault because Earth X was basically every single Marvel character ever written in one huge epic end-of-the-world story. And they had different universes crossing over, so you had every variation of every comic book character ever known. Yeah, send me the pictures. We'll figure it out. We'll get it sorted out. Okay, I have to warn you that the people who worked at Universal Creative did have a sense of humor. For example, you find Namor over the, the men's and ladies' room. <laughs> right, so okay. just a warning up front here. So 
Since we covered most of the TV shows, I did want to cover a couple briefly. We didn't really get to talk about Punisher at all, which hit Netflix, and, and we also wanted to talk about Runaways, which hit Hulu. Briefly, I think Punisher has been very, very good. It is graphically violent. It's a guy using guns on other people, so I think that when you're doing a show about gun violence, it should be brutal, but not necessarily glorified. And when I talk about glorified, I mean like a John Woo gun ballet where it's all shot in slow motion and doves are flying. That's glorified gun violence where it looks pretty while it's happening. And in The Punisher, it just looks painful and deadly, which I think is appropriate for a a show with a gun violent centric character. The Punisher show does not have any answers for gun debates. The character has been a gun user since the earliest days of the comic books. That is what he is. And, you know, they're not making any apologies for the show's content in any way, shape, or form. Like I said, it is what it is, so I don't think they need to apologize for a very gun-violent show. If some people are turned off by that, by all means, do not watch The Punisher because you will not have a good time. It's bloody. But I liked it. I'm a Punisher fan. I knew what I was signing up for when I watched it, and I really liked it. And then briefly on The Runaways, I did have the first couple of issues of the comic, so I kind of knew what was what to expect from the storyline. Jim, have you heard anything about The Runaways at all? Oh, I love the conceit. The whole notion of kids who accidentally find out that their parents are supervillains and how you react to that sort of info. Now, my understanding is you being familiar with the first couple of issues and that sort of thing, they they did make some mm-hmm. tweaks. I mean, crept the cast size in because obviously, again, it, you have a production budget, yep, and, yep. you know, that sort of thing. But are you happy with the choices they made? Or I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, and it was one of those things after a long time of watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I was kind of blasé about S.H.I.E.L.D. I really rooted for it, but it wasn't hitting my peaks the way I was hoping for it to. Inhumans came along on ABC, and I was thoroughly disappointed in that. So when it came time for taking a peek at Runaways, I had a very low bar of expectations. And it's shot out in California. It's bright. It's beautiful. They've got a multicultural cast, what I think is very, very important, because you've got a diversity of ethnic groups, which I think is important in this day and age, and how they interact with one another. And then the thing was is that the first episode is mostly told from the kid's point of view. And then the second episode is mostly told from the parent's point of view. So you get a lot of material that you see glimpses of in episode one, and then you see in more detail episode two. At this point, you're still not sure if the parents are really evil, evil, or misunderstood in some tragically wrong way. The kids aren't really sure what's going on yet, but they're still trying to piece it together. But they've got a really bad vibe that things are not right in Kansas anymore. The cast of kids, I think, are all terrific actors. They seem very natural interacting with one another. And I like all the parents. They have their quirks, and they feel like individuals. And when you're writing for a cast of, like, 15 or 20 people, it can be very easy to become very generic and bland. And when you have distinct characters that have their own quirks and their own personalities, that's a trait of a very good writer giving them that and then it's also the trait you know good characteristic of the actor who's able to take those 
traits that are hinted at on page in word form and bring that to life. So between the writing and the crew that's actually performing it, they're doing an absolutely fantastic job. And it really upsets me that Hulu can make great Marvel content, but ABC owned by Disney cannot get it right in their own home turf. And yet they're knocking it out of the park on the movies. I just don't understand what the breakdown is at the ABC front. Again, I think we were talking about this earlier. When you look at alias Jessica Jones or Daredevil or to a lesser extent Iron Fist. (laughs) A much, much lesser extent Iron Fist. Yes, go ahead. But again, you get the idea that for some odd reason, the very thing that bit them in the butt, the notion of trying to do this for network television versus a Hulu or a Netflix. Runaways doesn't really have a lot of violence. It doesn't have a lot of vulgar language. I think they do use, because it is Hulu, they do take some liberties with some expletives, but that can be very easily sanitized for mainstream television without actually tarnishing the product. I think that something like Runaways could, with very little alteration so far, you know, the season's not done yet, so far could be placed on ABC and do gangbusters with ratings. I don't think it's it's violence or casting or that sort of thing. I think it's a Netflix or a Hulu. A full season is eight, ten episodes. A full season for a network show is 16 to 22 episodes. I mean, you know, the, the, you know, you know how many you know shows talk about picking up the back nine and then it's like, okay, so we have to create nine more stories. In fact, it's been kind of funny charting the middle of sitcom on ABC is in the middle of its last season. And just recently, the network reached out and they were carefully crafting this last season to hit all the the right buttons and that sort of thing. And the network just reached out. Well, you're doing really well. Can we have two more episodes? And it's (laughs) like, it's like, okay, our our carefully arced out story. Right. Yeah, exactly. And now we got to just tack on some more because I was asked for more. Yeah. I mean, I've honestly, over the last couple of years, gotten spoiled by what the BBC does with Doctor Who. You know, just yeah, this whole, yeah. here are the eight to ten episodes, and that's it. They're tight, but they're all good. Yeah, and again, don't get me wrong, I love the cast of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It wonderfully entertaining. In fact, that's half the fun of this last two episodes introducing this season, was the character interplay. The notion of, well, let's split up. It's like, have you not watched any Alien movies? You don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, I've, I've got the solution here for us, okay? Which is? I think that Marvel and ABC, they need to do a little bit of crossover. They've got the ability to get their characters to mingle together, get them to flip and mingle together so we can get some interplay. And then from your most recent criticism is then cut down the season by about 10 episodes, focus on making sure the, the story is tight and great, and that there's no lags, no plateaus. It's to keep the momentum and the energy flowing short in the season. I think we've solved ABC and Disney's problem. If they're listening, take our advice and pay us a million dollars, please. <laughs> Does that, yeah. Is that how that works, Jim? Is that well, how you I, do the I, podcast? I, I believe the phrase you're missing is it's small unmarked bills. So, oh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, Disney, if you're listening, please take our advice and pay us a million dollars in small unmarked bills. There Thank you. Okay. 
That idea is going nowhere, but what the hell? A perfect okay. place to end the show. <laughs> there we go. All right. Just to recap here, this was the third episode of Marvel Us Disney. And given how many of you folks really, really enjoyed Aaron's sonic deconstruction of how the sound of Thor's hammer was put together, we are actively searching for a follow-up project to that. So if you have any suggestions, feel free to send them along. And in the meantime, Aaron and I will start going over these photos and hopefully get together a definitive listing of the characters that are locked up by Universal for theme park use. Then it gets interesting because then we can actually start talking about, well, who does that mean Disney has access to? But that's a topic for a future show. And until then, this is Jim Hill and, of course, my good friend Aaron Adams. And we will see you again on the Marvelous Disney podcast very soon.